Uh, you will be given these at the on the way out today. These are just little invitation cards, which has the information about our Christmas Eve services for people that are in your life, your plus one, the people that you uh, would like to have an encounter with Christmas and with the, the, the reason behind Christmas, which is Jesus, and that they can come to know him, can come to hear about him, maybe take a step. Uh, so be praying about that, and you'll be given some of those. Take some, maybe somebody that you work with, one of your family members, uh, who knows what God would want to do this Christmas season, right? All five of us, thank you. <laughs> Who knows what God would want to do this Christmas season, right? Yeah, your friend, your family, your loved one, your neighbor, why not, right? Yes, amen. I see you. I don't know if you all know that. I see you out there. I do. Just going to get some couple things out here. Now, I say this pretty much every uh, Christmas uh, season, and it's important to remind uh, around us is, much like Gail kind of touched on there around the Christmas highlights your life. It's either highlights the difficulty that you're walking through and exacerbates it and highlights brokenness, it highlights loss, it highlights relational difficulties, it highlights all the stuff that you're struggling with financially, whatever. Everything gets heightened because there's more demand on it, more expectation on it. And so in the, in the midst of rejoicing, you may be really rejoicing, and that's wonderful. It's important to do that. We have much to rejoice for, uh, and not just because of we have lots of stuff or don't have lots of stuff, but because of Jesus and the goodness of God and that he's never going to leave us, he's never going to forsake us, he's with us, that our joy goes something deeper. However, when people like Gail just talked about who are maybe like waiting for Christmas to come when the hamper comes through the door or people that are struggling with because they've lost a loved one, this is their first Christmas without that loved one. However, it might be, be sensitive to the people around us. Can we do that? Be sensitive to the people around you, the people you work with, the people that, that your, uh, uh, your neighbors, your friends, your family members. Uh, people are going through all kinds of stuff, and so let's be a, a community that really loves well and helps and comes alongside in, in our own special way. Um, so how many of you, as we look at Christmas, which is 17 days away? I know. That means there's like 22 days till... Something like that, 22, 23 days until the 2019 is over. Uh, wow. I said to my daughter this morning, who's 21, I said, do you know what? I was 21 in 1992. She looked at me like I was a fossil. Like, <laughs> but how many of you, as you look at Christmas and just generally in your life, are more of the planner? You have things planned out. Anybody plan? When you go on a trip, you're more of a planner. You, you don't go thinking, I'll figure it out as I go. You're like, you have the flight booked. You've got your excursions booked if you're doing that. Or if you're going to uh, go out for a camping trip, everything is out. The, the meals are all planned. How many of you are more the planner people? Just wave at me. Yeah. We can bring the lights up in the house a little bit too, please. It'd be good because I can hardly see. Um, so some of us are more planners and some of us are less planners. Shanda is more of the planner. She's not extreme in it, in our relationship, an extreme planner. But compared to me, she's extreme because I kind of just go with it. Like, however it is, I, I don't, because yeah, yeah. <laughs> she planned it already. I was just like, tell me where to show up. <laughs> when we're, when we're going to travel somewhere, uh, we'll be, we're going to pack, pack up and I will be like, if, if we're leaving before or after 8 o'clock in the morning, 
I'll pack in the morning. Like, it doesn't matter if it's a week or if it's a month. Like, I'll pack in the morning. Just get up a little bit earlier, pack, throw it all in there. You only have so much stuff, throw it in. If it's, if it's before 8, I'll pack before I go to bed or maybe get up at 2 in the morning and do that kind of thing because what, what's their all? But Shanda is like, okay, we're leaving in 2020. I got to pack, I think it's in February, but I'm looking at the weather and there are some days it's like three months from now. No, there's some days where it could rain. So I got to take that. And then we're going to be going here, so I need some nice shoes. Uh, and then she says, I could just forget them, and you can buy me some new ones. I said, well, that's what normally happens. So, uh, oh, I lost my shoes. I don't know where they are. But she packs and plans well in advance. I stress her out because I'm not planning way far in advance. When are you going to pack? I'm going to have clothes. Don't worry. Like, I will bring, I count out how many underwear, how many days, plus one. <laughs> Socks, the same thing. I got a, I've, I'm, I am taking, there's only so many options. I got a black belt or a brown belt, and not like that kind of black belt, but a black belt or a brown belt. I don't, I don't have a lot of options going on. I got running shoes, maybe two pairs uh, to get in there, so it's pretty easy. I, but some people are really prepared people. They really do. They prepare, they prepare. Uh, I learned that Shanda prepared prefers to prepare because sometimes I would just bring people home to have dinner at our house and that's fine but when you have three children that are under the age of six your house kind of looks like well, I'm careful now this has been many years so I can probably safely say it. it looked like a tornado hit it and when you bring somebody in hey hon I brought this my work friend home and we're gonna eat and she's like I could tell. I, I probably shouldn't have done that at that moment. Somehow I just felt like the temperature dropped in the room. Uh, somebody's face got a little red. Mine, not Shanda's. Her eyes narrowed into slits and everything like that. And so I learned that it wasn't because Shanda didn't want the person to come over. She wanted to be properly prepared for them in terms of food and, and have everything so that they could enjoy themselves and not have to like go over the clothes and the kids and the things and all that kind of stuff. She wanted safety first. You know, that's what it's all about. But last week we talked about a table representing the heart of the home. I want to see who will outweigh me, someone to sit on here. We can have like a little thing, right? Balance beam. Nobody's going to try that. No. But the table represents the heart of the home, whether that's breakfast in the morning uh, or it's dinner time at night. That table represents the heart of the home, the place where you connect, the place where there's relationship, the place where you talk and connection and welcoming and a place that you make room in the middle of your day. Uh, and we talked about how important it is to have that place of connection. And it's, it helps in all kinds of things. It helps, helps in your physical health. It, it helps uh, in your connection as a, as a family and a relationship. And how that table represents really what we were talking about last week. If you didn't hear it, uh, it's online, horizonfam.ca. But talking about how table, this table representing Christmas. Because uh, Christmas is all about God making a way for us to belong again. 
Christmas is all about God making a way through Jesus for us to connect with how, uh, who God made us. It's the ultimate where, where it, it began, not just at Christmas, where we hear all the Christmas stories about uh, sheep and mangers and all that kind of thing and, thing and angels in the sky. But Christmas began uh, well at the very beginning of time when the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, sinned and brought separation between man and God. And God promised Right at the very beginning, in the middle of the mess, he said, there's coming a day when there's a Savior who will come who will help you find the way back home. He's coming to lead you back home to the table, the place that I prepare for you. So a table representing connection, a table representing God restoring, a table representing God healing, a table representing God's purpose to call us all back home where life can really be what God's called it to be. Um, and so... Th- in order for the table, I don't know about you at Christmas, but Shanda is preparing already. We were out yesterday at, at Walmart buying stuff for food that we're going to make and not eat until two weeks from now. And I was like, well, I don't know if I could make those butter tarts and not eat them. Like, that's, that is dangerous. <laughs> yeah, but we got to prepare for... And so part of it, Shanda, if you want to come and help me here, part of Christmas is that you have to prepare for it in some level. And so we're just going to begin this. I think this one is the, the thing in the middle. What do you call that? The runner. The runner okay. <laughs> this is what? What's this thing? This is the tablecloth. Okay. Is it straight there? OCD. No, it's precise. It's not OCD. It's precise. It's down this much at the end. How about that? End? How about that much? I don't know. How much is that one? Okay. <laughs> Prepare. This is why we don't do this together. Let's <laughs> go that way a little bit. Okay, this way. Just a little bit that way. No, that's not the middle. Okay. It's a little wrinkly, though. I've learned this. If I say it's a little wrinkly, I'm ironing it. That's what's happening. (laughs) So in order to have Christmas at the table, you have to prepare. It doesn't just start. You don't just, like, throw the food on the table. Well, maybe you do. Um, If I was the one doing it, maybe. I don't know. But, uh, well, we wouldn't be eating as well. Let's just put it that way. Whatever. And so, but to have dinner prepared, you have to prepare. Sometimes the preparation begins well in advance, like shopping and all that that make the table good. And other times then you begin to, once the food has been bought and, and you're preparing the food, it's cooking and it's all that thing. Um, some, some men love to cook, some women love to cook. And it's not about that. It's simply about preparation. If you want to enjoy the meal, you have to prepare well. Fair? The better prepared you are, or the, at least somebody in your house might be, uh, or th- then probably the better experience you're going to have and the better connection you're going to have because you prepared well. And that's what the Christmas story is about today that we're going to talk about, God, the preparation that is necessary to enjoy the table. So we're going to read in uh, Luke chapter 1 because this table, that's Christmas. It it's, means come home. It's, Christmas means about, is the table talks about restoring hope and restoring us into what God has for us. But it, it took some preparation 
And we're going to read in, a, in the book of Luke, chapter 1. It's the common, probably, beginning of the Christmas story that most of us would be familiar, even if you're not a, a church regular goer. You've probably heard the story, or at least if you haven't, you're going to today. Written by a man named uh, Luke. This is one of four Gospels. Luke uh, was a doctor. And uh, he was very precise, and his is the the is a, a long book with a lot of details about about the whole uh, story of Jesus. So it's it's very interesting how he writes, and he begins here in Luke chapter one, and it says in the sixth month, and that was the sixth month of the pre. It's talking about what happened just previously, where a, a man, a woman named Elizabeth, was pregnant with a son named John, and she was about six months along. Uh, now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed, not a word we use a lot today, but we'll explain that in a moment, to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And uh, having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice. Everyone say rejoice. rejoice. Highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and consider what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He'll be great, and, you will be call, and he will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Wow. Then Mary said to the angel, kind of a logical question, how can this be since I do not know a man? And this is no in the biblical sense of the word. This is not like, no, I don't know anybody. No, she had not slept with a man, okay? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who is called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you've prepared a place and a table for us, Lord. And I pray that you would help us to hear for our, uh, ourselves, not for someone else today, about how not only have you prepared a table for us, you want to use us to prepare a table for someone else. So here is Mary. She was a young woman, probably... People speculate that she might have been 14, 15 years old getting married, which you think, whoa, that's like so, so young. It, it is young, but if the context of your life expectancy is 40 to 50 years old, she's already moving along in terms of her, her, of her age. So she's 14, 15 years old. Uh, here she was, uh, simply a product of the time. There were three levels of relationship there, which was an engagement, which was an agreement between fathers. Some cultures still do this, where the, the parents first meet and say, hey, I have a boy, you have a girl, uh, let's talk about bringing them together. Some people in this church are starting at like one year old. They're like, hey, my, my boy is like, he's you're, that girl, I think, I, this could be something. Can we arrange this now? Like, that is not endorsed from this pulpit, I will tell you that. Okay. 
But anyway, they start engaged where the, de the parents talk, and then they have what's called to be betrothed, which where they actually exchange vows, and they make some promises to each other. It has everything uh, about marriage, except they don't live together, and they don't sleep together. The man at that moment, she's promised, so now, and they promised one another. He leaves, and he begins to prepare a place for the bride. He goes, and he, he, maybe he builds a, uh, a, another room onto his parents' house, or he builds, uh, buys a new tent, I don't know, gets a camel, whatever he's going to do, a, a, a camel, and, and gets everything ready, and eventually he will come back when she doesn't expect it, and will just show up after he has prepared a place for her. And so that's kind of the world that she's living in in that moment. And in the place that she lived, which was Nazareth, Nazareth was not like the, the city of champions like Edmonton used to be. It's the city, <laughs> anytime I can just, mm, yeah, like that. Because Vancouver has never won a Stanley Cup, never won anything. But we won't get into that. So Nazareth is not the city of champions. It's in a general area of a region called Galilee, and it's a number of miles from the sea. It was kind of uh, six miles from the closest major road, so it was off the beaten path. It had no good water supply, only one uh, fairly weak well in the center of the village. So it was not marked as the place you wanted to come from. In fact, later when Jesus uh, was recognized and they were saying, this might be uh, God come in a powerful way, everybody said, but can anything good come from Nazareth? Like, in other words, this is not the place amazing people come from. So everything, and we look at these stories, and we can sometimes have rose-colored glasses about how things were. This woman, she's there, an angel comes, and she says, yes, Lord, I will, I will do it. I will do it. I will be the one who, who bears the child. I will bear God himself. And we gloss over the fact that she was young, that she was betrothed, she was already engaged to be married, and she was a virgin, seemingly very, very poor. As we see later, and we'll talk about it in a couple weeks, about how when Jesus was dedicated, she gave the offering of the very poor people. And in a nondescript, even backwater or a rough town, and we are reading about her here in 2019, transformed, used by God, and part of the story of the table. I think it reminds me that it should remind all of us that God sees you. I love the details of this Mary. It says her name. It says that she is betrothed. It says the city that she lived in. God knows the details of your story, the parts of your story you want to hide, the parts of your story you're proud of, the lack, the failures, the brokenness. They don't intimidate him. He sees and he knows and he still comes alongside and says, Hey, Mary. Fred or John. He's calling each of us to the table. He believes in you even when you don't believe in yourself and even in places that feel like a dead end off the beaten track. God still sees you and knows you, your whole story, and still comes by. And it goes down to verse 28, and I'm just going to grab here, and it says, and having come in, we're just going to kind of work our way through this story. It's a little different than I normally preach, but it's all right. Some of you are like, fantastic. And having come home, or come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice. Everybody say, Rejoice. Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. 
blessed are you among women. And we look at all that the natural of her situation, and she probably in that moment, does she, is she blessed? Does she feel that? I don't know. But you say, oh, pastor, I see now. We're reading about her because she had an inside track. Uh, God favored her because she had a special purpose, and, and we would miss something. Here's the thing, though. If you have surrendered your life to Jesus, if you have come to the table, you're in the same space as her. You are highly favored. You are highly favored. At the table, it doesn't matter how far back you started. God favors you. Where you started your journey doesn't matter to God. How, how long you've walked away from God, you can always turn around and come home. And you're highly favored. You step into situations, and when Jesus is in your life, you do have an advantage. You are highly favored. That means everybody else might live at this life. But when you come to the table and you find your purpose in God, you have an advantage. You are highly favored. That's what the Bible says about you. Psalm 512 says, when I walk with favor, like his favor uh, surrounded me like a shield. In, every way, in other words, wherever I go and whatever I step into, I step into a situation. God is always already making a way in front of me. His favor is going before me. When I, I look at my past, I look back through the eyes of favor of what God has set me free from. When I begin to look forward, I say, God has highly favored my life. So then what was impossible for me in the the natural becomes possible for me in, in, because of the supernatural power of God moving in my life. Not only am, uh, is God favoring me, God is with me. In Matthew 28, Jesus said, I will be with you until the end of the age, until it's all wrapped up, buttoned up. I am with you. So when I'm going through hell, he's walking right through with me. When I'm going through situations that I don't understand, he's walking right through with me. When my future looks bleak, because of the past that I've walked through, because of Jesus, when I come to the table, no longer do I walk through alone. He is with me. He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. He's never walking away from me, even when I walk away from him. He's looking out for me. His eyes are searching for me. He's saying, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. In the middle of brokenness, in the middle of pain, I am with you. Not just when you've got it all figured out, but when you open the door to me, I will come in. I will come near. I will come alongside. I am with you. I will not leave you. It's not just a Mary story. It's your story when you come to the table. Whether you're confused and discouraged, he's there. And not only are, is he favoring you, not only is he with you, God is blessing you when you come to the table. Some of us believe that God has a blessing for everybody else, but not for me or not for you. Some of us believe that God, when he was handing out the blessings, by the time he got to me, he had run out. He is blessing you. Ephesians 1 and 3 says, you are, when you come to Jesus, you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Everything that you need for life and godliness, another place says, is found in Jesus. And that's why no matter what uh, naturally we might have in our life, Jesus is with me. He's resourcing me with something that's deeper than what's going on around me. He's filling me with his purpose. He's filling me with his power. He's filling me with his joy. He's filling me with his hope. And therefore, I am not alone, and I can do what he's called me to do because he's favoring me, he's with me, and he is blessing me. You are not overlooked at the table. 
See, God's turning around the evil that's been done to you. At the table, God is reversing the curses that have been spoken over you. At the table, God is blessing you. God is opening blessing to you in your university career. God is opening blessing to you in your home. God is opening blessing to you. And when we open our lives to Jesus, he can begin to work in us so that he can transform us and work through us. The blessing of God is on us when we return to the table and to what our purpose in God. But I think many, like Mary, would say, how is this even possible? It says that she was troubled and she was confused. Why would God say this to me? Why is he saying he's blessing me? What's going on? And we, when we don't understand things, we often just simply put it aside or move on into unbelief or doubt and, and stop living at what we're called. But don't let where you are limit where God wants to take you. That's what Mary tells us. It's just a young lady in a nondescript town, poor, overlooked, and maybe not known. Maybe even your disappointment has led you to cynicism, or your failure has led you to shame, or your, your doubt has caused you to disengage, or your discouragement is stealing your hope. But God's got you. He's got you in your university. He's got you in your business. He's got you in whether you're a stay-at-home mom, whether you're a recovering addict, whether you've got everything all figured out, whether you know, whether you're alone, whether you have family. He's got you wherever you are. And he's with you through Jesus at the table. Then the very next phrase that they, in Mary's wandering and her confusion, she's like, how is this even? Like, I don't get this. Why would God tell me all this? God usually tells you stuff like that because he's about to ask you to do something that in yourself you cannot do. The very angel's very next phrase is, don't be afraid. Wherever you're at, whatever you've been through, Whatever lack you feel, I want to use you to bring people back to the table. And good news, she, and the, the angel drops the bombshell, you're going to have a baby. But, but um, he's going to be the savior of the world, and you're going to name him Jesus. I'm already going to tell him you his name, and he's going to save people from their sin. This is good news. God has come. This is the next phase in, the, in restoring people to the table. This is going to be amazing. Mary, like God could have done it a lot of ways, but then you, Mary, a virgin, is going to have a baby to help prepare the way for people to get back to the table. I don't know how it went down in heaven, but maybe it was something like God breaks the news to the angels. I'm going to go in to humanity, and I'm going to save them from their mess of sin. One angel says, I dare you to go as a baby. And another one's like, I double dare you, go as a baby in a virgin. <laughs> I don't know. I just, this is, a, I was reading this and that was kind of the picture that came to mind because I was like, wow, how does this even happen? But a side note about that, more than 680 years before Jesus was born, God told a prophet, an old prophet named Isaiah, that a virgin would conceive and give birth to a son, and they would call his name Emmanuel, and he would save people from their sin. And the accuracy of this one claim or prophecy is miraculous, miraculous in itself. But there are 108 prophecies about Jesus coming. 108, not one. 108 around it. And in 
there was a renowned math professor and astronomy professor named uh, Peter Stoner who calculated that the changes or the chances of fulfillment of the prophecies of Jesus, never mind 108, he said, the probability of just eight of the 108 coming to pass would be conservatively calculated at one in one quadrillion. That's a hundred and then 15 zeros. More than the Amazon has in the bank account. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> People are like calculating. Is it that much? No. No. And Mary asked a very logical question. How can this be? I have never slept with a man. Very logical question. You're going to have a baby. The angel's reply is how God always works. In Mary's life, but also in yours and mine when we come to the table. The Holy Spirit comes on you. The Holy Spirit power makes the impossible possible. You may not be asked to give birth to a, virgin, uh, a baby and be a virgin. But God might ask you to invite your friend. God might be asking you to give. God might be asking you to welcome. God might be asking you to take a risk and share your faith. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The Holy Spirit gives, makes the impossible possible. And it's a miracle that should give us a lot of hope. It's almost like God, like, double down, a virgin giving birth to a baby. I think it reminds us that when you say yes to God, the very thing that seems to disqualify you can actually be used by God to minister to people. The bad thing, the dark things, the impossible thing, the thing that you might have already disqualified yourself in God, God can use to change lives. And when you surrender the pain of your divorce, God can turn that pain into restoring someone's marriage. When you surrender your addiction, God can use it to bring others out of theirs. When we surrender our thing, you know that thing we probably, most of us have somewhere hidden away in the back of our mind that we hope no one ever finds out. Fear, anxiety, apathy, discouragement, whatever it is, not only will God change our life, he can use you to bring change to the table. The issue is not too much for God. And then we go down to verse 36, and it says, Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who is called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Say, nothing will be impossible. For no one ever thought that she could have a baby. She was too old. No, she was labeled as barren. It started me thinking, what do people say about me? What, what do they say about you? What do you say about you? What label do you put on yourself? What label have others put on you? Have you let your past or your present be the label of your future? Have we let what others have said about us determine what God could do through us? Don't underestimate what God can do in you, what God can do for you, and what God can do through you. It's beyond my ability. Nothing is impossible with God. Maybe you're a young person who's saying, I don't know how God's going to free me from this anxiety that I feel every time that I uh, step into something new, but nothing is impossible with God. Or No one could ever, they said, no one, uh, no one thought you could ever be free from the pain of the abuse, but nothing is impossible with God. No one ever thought that your marriage could be restored, but nothing is impossible with God. 
If you ever considered it, maybe you're a college student saying, I don't know what my career holds, but nothing is impossible with God. Or no one ever thought you'd get past that bankruptcy, but nothing is impossible with God. No one ever thought that you would ever be able to move beyond that, that terrible mistake of adultery, but nothing is impossible with God. Whatever the label on you, whatever the evil done to you, what, uh, whatever the label done by you, or the evil done by you, whatever it is, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. It's so important to remember that when a promise of God is delayed, it's not destroyed. That dis do not allow disappointment to take up residence in your heart because nothing is impossible with God. Do not allow discouragement to poison your perspective because nothing is impossible with God. The betrayal of others does not mean the betrayal of heaven. Nothing is impossible with God. So then Mary says this, let it then, okay, God, I believe you. Nothing is impossible with you. Then let it be to me according to your word. In other words, I give you my yes. I, you can use me to prepare a table so that others can encounter you and know you and be set free by you. You can use me. I am willing to be used to prepare and make room for somebody else to find a place at the table. But what does that look like? And your preparation makes room for someone's restoration. Your preparation. Someone came to my office last week and shared something with me, and I... Uh, just a testimony from the talk last week about the table and what it says, a testimony from the table that produced a Christmas miracle. And they wrote this and came in and they said that you tend to expect a miracle to happen or be created by a powerful person or somebody of extreme wealth. But God had a different plan in this miracle. He used two women from different parts of the world, two different people at crossroads, one seeking restoration and one seeking reassurance. I was holding on to the truth that my history does not determine my destiny and believing that God is rewriting my story. And with hope in my heart, our hearts, we each made a choice to come sit at the table around Grow. That's, that's not a promo for Grow at all, but one called for someone to come pick them up at the end of the lesson and said, and, I, and one said, I'll drive you home. And just like that connection was an open door, an opportunity through conversation. In an instant, the outcome changed. The moment connection occurred, God changed the narrative for each one of them. Believe. Oh, I know it doesn't happen every time the way I think it should, but keep coming back to the table. Keep searching, because where a gift like this occurs, it makes all the years of hardship disappear. In an instant, hope can be renewed. Your spirit can be refreshed. Fresh opportunities awaken. Courage is restored. Come back to the table. Meet God. Be diligent. The little steps of faith. God loves to work in those moments. Are you looking for it? Oh, I know Pastor Craig thinks Hallmark movies are phony. But you know what? For all of us, 
God wants us to believe. Believe in what God has instilled in our spirit. Keep hope alive. And no matter what the circumstances, out of that, God will help you share hope with others. Be restored. Be refreshed. Be reassured in this season. But God, walk around knowing, but God, he's the way maker. Beyond belief is the assurance of but God. He is the one who makes a way. He has made a way for you and for me. What that person didn't tell in there, but they told me, is that they... Uh, said to the lady who they gave a ride home, they discovered that she had a lot of needs. Uh, and what she was able to do was take what she had and meet the need of somebody else and bless them and encourage them. And in that moment where God enabled them to connect and they felt the power of God flow in a powerful way as she made a preparation for somebody else because of the table of what God's done in her life. Have you ever let your past or present be the label over your future. Nothing is impossible with God. And I want to turn the page real quick and we're going to be done here and get super practical for all of us. How can we be part of preparing the table? Preparing the way for other people around us. It's good that you have a seat at the table, but there's lots of people who don't have a seat at the table because they don't even know that God has a place for them, that God has a, a place where they can connect and find hope and find restoration and find forgiveness. I just want to look at real quick in Hebrews 13, 1 to 3. Yeah. No matter what, make room. Everybody say, make room. Nice and strong. One, two, three. In your heart to love every believer. And make room by showing hospitality to strangers, for they may be angels from God showing up as your guest. And make room by identifying with those who are in prison as though they were, you were suffering with them, and those who are mistreated as you, if you could feel their pain. Make room in this season. This is how you can prepare. Make room in your heart for friends and family. Relational issues are the season it's a season to make room. It's make room for love by letting go of some bitterness. Make room in your heart for love by forgiving. Make room in your heart by letting go of some disappointment that others in your life have disappointed you and it's hurt you. Make room in your heart by choosing to release forgiveness, choosing to ask for forgiveness, send a gift, write a card, invite to church, Make room in your heart for love. Because your preparation makes room for someone's restoration. Make room for hospitality to the stranger, the neighbor, the refugee, the co-worker, the acquaintance in your home, in your space, in your time, in your neighborhood. Love the promise. I love that promise. It says sometimes you'll, you might encounter angels. In other words, sometimes you encounter heaven when you think you're just making room for somebody, but God wants to touch your life in a powerful way. Maybe you can host an open house in your complex. Maybe you can take some Christmas bacon to the grumpy old man that lives three doors down. Maybe you're a college student and you could take the student that you've sat beside all semester and take him for coffee. Because your preparation can make room for someone's restoration. Make room for empathy. Identify with those, it says. For the person in prison, although it certainly means a literal prison, it's not a stretch to suggest it also means make room 
to feel and not judge the one trapped by addiction, trapped by fear, trapped by, trapped by apathy, trapped by sin, trapped by sexual sin, all kinds of things, all kinds of prisons locked up just not far from here. And, you know, as a side note, uh, the Surrey pretrial uh, inmates are all banding together and are buying two hampers to go back into the community. Yeah. Make room for empathy. For the person that has been mistreated, often we know who that is because we can see their situation and they've been mistreated, they've been hurt or whatever. But can I give you a clue to some of the most mistreated people are the ones who are doing the mistreating? Because hurt people hurt people. And we see them hurting people and we fail to empathize with way before they were deeply hurt and they have never been able to come to the table and be made well. And our rejection of them rather than our empathy with them only pushes them away. And they never will understand the goodness and kindness of God for them that he's made available through Jesus. Make room for empathy. And this Christmas season, we're going to rub shoulders, and we already probably have with all kinds of people. We can let go of judgment and make room for empathy, try to understand where people are coming from. This Christmas season, you might have that caustic relative that makes you just want to scream. Jesus, help me to empathize with them. Help me to understand. Help me to do what I can do in the middle of it all. When we give gifts, when we send cards, when we buy hampers, when we wrap presents, when we give a hug, when we are in the office party with that loud, obnoxious one, when we hear the nastiness, let's empathize. Let's feel the pain that drives the problem and not make the mistake of thinking that judgment and a pointy finger is going to change someone's heart. Lots of people have been loved into change. In fact, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have been. Because it says this, God proves his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He empathized with us. He took action. He loved us. He made a way for us. Since Jesus died for us, can we at least, at least empathize with others around us? Make room to love every. Make room for hospitality. Make room for empathy. Mary said, I'll be part of the preparation to make room at the table. And she couldn't possibly understand all that was on the other side of her yes. In fact, she faced potential death because she could be stoned. Because they'd say, well, you slept around. You're an adulterer. We're going to stone you or divorced. And in fact, she really carried that stigma all her life. But what was on the other side of her yes was... God brought Jesus into the world through Mary, offering us forgiveness of sin, mending the brokenness in our relationship with God, and bringing us back to the table. What could be on the other side of your yes? What challenging task has God brought in front of you? I think there's one final question at the end, Jordan. How can I take a risk and prepare the table for someone else? make room, whether it's mending a broken relationship or stepping out in hospitality or walking in empathy for others that you feel like judging, 
take heart in knowing that on the other side of your yes, God can work an outcome that is greater than you see right now. Your preparation can make the way for someone's restoration. Let's invite you to bow your head for a moment. And if you're here, how many of you, first of all, would say, Pastor, I recognize I need to make room in my heart for love. I need to make room in my heart for empathy. I need to make room in my heart for hospitality this season. Maybe in some places that I'd rather not. Just with every head bowed, every eye closed, just raise your hand real quick. Yeah, yeah. Relationships that need some restoration, some forgiveness that needs to be released, a neighbor that needs to be invited in instead of slashing their tires. Who knows? I'm going to pray for you in a moment, but as well now with continuing to keep our head bowed and every eye closed, uh, I want to give people an opportunity to come to respond to come to the table. In other words, to give your life to Jesus, to surrender your life to Jesus, to say, God, take my brokenness, the places of my uh, discouragement, the places of my sin, the places that trap me, and I ask you to forgive my sin. We talk about this and we say, uh, as simple as ABC, that I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus came to save me by his death, burial, and resurrection, and I confess that he is my Lord. I want to come to the table. I want to be forgiven of my sin. I want peace with God. I want to experience God's favor. I want to know that God is with me. The preparation of God through Jesus makes restoration possible for you. If you've never made Jesus the forgiver and leader of your life, and just every head bowed, I just want to pray for you. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front or anything like that. I just want to pray for you and tell you some next steps. But if that's you, just put your hand up, and I'm going to pray with you. My left, your right. Say, Pastor, I want to make Jesus the forgiver and leader of my life. Yeah, thank you. All right. I'm going to pray. And then when I'm done praying, we're going to move into a song and we're going to close out our service with singing. We want to invite you to stand to your feet as I pray. Jesus, I thank you that you are our forgiver. Thank you that you made a way to restore us to right relationship with God, to bring us to the table. And Father, I pray that in this room where many of us, many, many, many of us have to make some steps to make room in our heart for love, to make room in our heart for hospitality, to make room in our heart for empathy, Lord Jesus. God, we thank you that there is, that you do something significant on the other side of our yes, that our preparation can be part of someone's restoration. So Lord, I pray for each and every one that you would help us, that you would show us how, you would show us what, you would show us, Lord Jesus, that we can help people find their way to the table, that we would not be a barrier, but we would be a a way maker for them in the strong name of Jesus. And Lord, we thank you that you are a forgiver. We thank you that you are a healer. And we welcome you, Jesus. And in this Christmas season, Lord, as we Uh, look forward to making a difference in our community because of the love of Jesus, of making space at the table for others, Lord. We pray, oh God, that you would help us, Lord, that people's lives would be touched through the hospitality, that the love would reach their hearts, Lord Jesus, that the empathy, they would feel not, not judgment, but kindness and empathy, the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. In the strong name of Jesus, and everyone said, amen. We're going to close out with this song.